Okay. How y'all doing today? As we say in the army. (laughs) Before we uh, get started, I'd just like to give you a little background on on the prayer that I'm about to ask you to join with me to pray. Uh, I got approached by Miss Karen Day um, uh, to uh, basically represent uh, all of the military, all the service components in Louisiana to lead this prayer on the National Day of Prayer. Uh, I went to my boss, uh, Brigadier General Glenn Curtis, and uh, he approved that. And then he went to his boss, because in the military we always have a boss, and uh, Major General Bennett Landrineau, and, and he approved it. And isn't it good to know that we have godly men and leadership in Louisiana National Guard? Ooh. So anyway, uh, General Andrew approved it. What surprised me was that he approved me doing it instead of so many other more qualified people. So then I had a challenge in that I've never done anything like this to try and put what was in my heart or in my thoughts down on paper in in such a prestigious place. Um, So I would like to let you know that the pastor uh, gave me a lot of reading material uh, to help. And I'll be honest, uh, I freely uh, plagiarized a lot of it. Those of you who have read this material will probably hear some of that. Um, And then also, uh, my helpmate, my beautiful wife Angie, um, helped me refine the prayer to to get a little bit closer from uh, what was in my heart onto paper and into words. Um, So I consider it not my prayer, but our prayer, and I just want to thank you all both publicly for helping me with that. Uh, The only other thing I'd like to add is, uh, before I start, is I never knew how hard it was to to do something like that. And it was a real, probably overall, simple thing, but I never realized, you know, that our pastor and other preachers have to do this week in and week out to where they have to go ahead and put their thoughts and what's in their heart and what God is telling them in their spirit on the paper and then then to go ahead and, and what I call broadcasting it to us, never knowing how it's received. And I got to tell you, it was real difficult. It, it was harder than I ever thought. And, and at this time, I'd just like to, uh, for you to join me in thanking you, thanking our pastor for not being such a dedicated patriot, an American, but also being a dedica- dedicated and devoted um, uh, preacher for our church, our body of Christ. I got to tell you, he's surprised. That wasn't part of the script. <laughs> but as we sat there, I was led by the Spirit. That uh, it, it just reminded me of those thoughts that went through my head, and I really mean that. Uh, what I'd like for, to do now, if you would please, is to, to join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you today in the powerful and the holy name of Jesus. We thank you for the brave men and women who serve our country and state. We petition you according to Psalm 91 for the safety of our military. Protect them as they protect us. Defend them as they defend us. May they be mentally and physically strong as they face the challenges of combat or the hardships of natural disasters. Lord, give those in leadership positions wisdom and insight beyond their own natural ability. May they have clear minds, open hearts, and are able to hear your voice. Guide them, we pray. Father, we thank you for our veterans. May they find the honor and recognition they deserve. We pray that you will heal the physical and psychological wounds some of these veterans are suffering. Please bring peace 
for those who mourn the loss of comrades. Heal them, we pray. Father, may we find more efficient ways of tracking and identifying those who have been taken captive in war and those missing in action. We pray the truth would come to light quickly so that the living may be rescued and the families of the deceased may find timely closure. Comfort them, we pray. Lord, bless our military families. O oh, Lord, provide for their needs financially and emotionally. Preserve their marriages and help their children adjust. Bless them, we pray. Most high God, give us all hope in a time of despair. Courage when faced with fear and increase faith in times of doubt and uncertainty. Comfort us by your spirit and with your word. May your favor, blessings, and saving grace be upon us so that we may be a shining witness of your love. We humbly submit to you, supreme rule of the world, these requests. You are in control, and our hope is in you. To God be the glory. Amen. Pastor asked me to go ahead and introduce our guest speaker today. Just like to give you a little bit of background uh, on our guest speaker. Uh, he graduated from East Texas Baptist University in January of 1974. Uh, he graduated from Southwestern Baptist Seminary with a Master of Divinity degree in May of 1977. It was uh, after he was commissioned as a first lieutenant in the United States Army Chaplains Corps in July of 1986. He graduated from the Chaplain's Officer Basic Course in 1988, the Chaplain's Officer Advanced Course in 1990, the Combined Armed Service Staff School in 1995, and the United States Army Command and General Staff College in June of 2000. He is a veteran of Desert Storm from 1990 to 1991, and he's a veteran of Operation Iraqi Freedom from 2004 to 2005. He also served as the Joint Force Chaplain for the Louisiana National Guard and all of its operational forces under its command after Hurricanes Katrina, Rita, Gustav, and Ike. Some of his awards include the Bronze Star, the Army Combat Badge, the Global War on Terrorism Medal, the Meritorious Service Medal, the Army Commendation Medal, the Army Achievement Medal three times, the Humanitarian Service Medal, and the Noble Patron of Armor Award. Please join me in a warm round of applause for our, our guest speaker, Lieutenant Colonel Robert S. Baker, Jr. Pastor Russell, <laughs> Colonel Angelos, Submajor Ermitanger, fellow soldiers, Marines, Airmen, Navy, Coast Guard, veterans, families, brothers and sisters in Christ. My sweetheart, Miss Beverly, would you stand up? And our most honored, <laughs> are, are honored to be here. We've been looking forward to this. Uh, for a couple months, ever since I was contacted by, by this church, by the brother, uh, Pastor Russell, his secretary, and it's just been something that I enjoy doing. I do a good bit of this on the holidays, especially, and uh, as a chaplain, uh, 
you know, I, I get to address a lot of different soldiers along the way, uh, a lot of my life. And I've been doing that the last 23 years. And it's been, it's always, I don't ever take it for granted. It's always a privilege because I know that God has blessed me to be able to minister to soldiers. Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, he understood. Well, you see, all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life, and he will for years. had the wonderful privilege over the last 23 years to be a chaplain in the Army National Guard and served on active duty for a while with Colonel Angelos and Tor Major Armitanger and uh, uh, several of you here uh, for sure. And uh, it's been a wonderful ministry. In fact, I'm a little bit, in fact, I'm a whole lot prejudiced. I think it's the best ministry in the world. You can't do, you can't do anything better in life than be an Army chaplain. Uh, that's where the ministry really is. Uh, our uh, None of you Marines may disagree there, but anyway. <laughs> we, uh, I got the privilege to minister to a lot of Marines before they went into Fallujah uh, when we were there in Kuwait before we left Kuwait to go to Iraq. And I uh, got to know some of them uh, just very, very briefly. One good thing about being a chaplain is you get to minister to people from all the services, especially in today's atmosphere with the, all the Joint Task Force and the Joint Service. It takes all of us to beat this terrorism stuff. It takes every one of us. And I, uh, I just appreciate the opportunity you asking me to come here. You know, sir, when I got those, when we got those orders for 550 something days, you know, talking about getting orders and talking about getting deployed is one thing. And when I got those orders, for that 560 days, it, I gotta confess, it kinda took the wind out of me. I said, this is, this is something I've been training for the last many years, but it's actually going to happen. And I gotta, I gotta admit to you, it took the wind out of myself. And I had a, a lot of, not a lot, of, not a lot of peace in my life because of that, for initially. And the Lord spoke to my heart. And He said, my son, I want to tell you a story. If you remember, a lady in the Old Testament named Queen Esther about how she had a mission to do and how her uncle Mordecai told her, Esther, you better stand up and be counted for you were born for such a day as this. For such a day as this. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I was born for such a day as this to serve with my fellow soldiers, served my country, a great country. People come up and tell me all the time, I'm so glad that you've served and thank you for serving. And uh, many times, as you I know, Conjolos and Conjolos uh, and uh, Sergeant Major Armatinger will testify, many times we'd be out 
uh, in a uniform, eating lunch, and we go to pay, and all of a sudden, the bill will be taken care of, not even knowing who did it. Uh, even the chef, uh, the chef in South Louisiana, what's his name? Yeah, him. Yeah, him. I was eating lunch in uh, Gonzales one day, me and a bunch of soldiers, and he came up and introduced himself to us, and uh, of course we knew he was, he, and uh, he thanked us for our service, and we got ready to pay, and the lady said, the chef is taking care of it for you. And, uh, you know, and we get, I tell people all the time, we serve the greatest people in the world, and we do, the American people. When I was just a baby, I had a, developed a, at about three months of age, a incurable disease uh, called Lettuce Seaweeds. Uh, it was a cancer, uh, a type of bone cancer. And as far as I know, I'm still the only one that's ever lived over it. Uh, it that wasn't by accident, though. Because, see, back in 1950, they didn't have chemotherapy. They didn't have all this other stuff they use today. They didn't have anything to treat me with. The only thing they could do was really just fill my body with cortisone and try to reduce the swelling because I was swell so on my head. And the neighbors, I grew up in a little town called Stonewall, Louisiana, on a dairy farm. Uh, a whole bunch of folks lived there back then, you know. But the neighbor said you could hear me crying out of pain for miles away. And I spent my first two and a half years, most of my two and a half years, in the hospital. My grandfather and grandmother were praying people. So were my mom and dad. And my dad, who I, who I lost uh, right after I got back from Iraq, never gave up. And he said, God's going to heal that baby. I've got a great big giant oak tree. In the back of my backyard that my grandfather planted when he was a young man. And the neighbor said, Mr. McCune, you'll never live to see this oak tree grown, but your grandson will. Well, he did live to see it grown. And he would go out and eat that little oak tree then. And he would prostrate himself before the Lord. Lord, take my life but spare this child. Lord, take my life but spare this child. And they would, he would call every church he knew. And I, people all over the country were praying for me. And God miraculously healed me. So, don't tell me God still doesn't do miracles, because he does. <laughs> uh, For those who say they can't see God, I say, where are you at the beautiful sunrise every morning and the beautiful sunset every afternoon, the rainbow in the sky? And most of all, the inner witness that he gives, gives to each of us, isn't he? Amen. You know what I'm talking about there, right? Amen. You know, when, uh, when we were in a desert storm, the Spirit of God really moved among the chaplains, and uh, it wasn't a, con- a concentrated, uh, 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 any kind of concentrated uh, effort, but uh, uh, to come up with a theme scripture, you know, and we just kind of, the way the Spirit of God moved, we just kind of did it, and not knowing each of us did it. But the ch- scripture we chose for that time during 1991 was the 91st Psalm, uh, you know, and this time, I'm going to read your scripture. 
and uh, for Operation Rock Freedom that we chose, and not something that was an organized campaign at all, but something that God just gave us, many of our, of our military chaplains, not just Army chaplains, but, but Air Force and, and Navy also. And it's in Jeremiah 29. For I know that I have plans for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. You will seek me with all your heart, and I will be found. What amazing promise. And you know, when we were there in Iraq, I was so, I got to pastor the gospel congregation. Now, buddy, I had a good time. <laughs> uh, and we would have seven services a day in our, in our, on Sundays, plus kept the chapel very, very busy throughout, from about eight o'clock in the morning to about ten o'clock at night to try to minister to all, all the soldiers. Even the Wiccans. I had to give the Wiccans a place in there, sir. <laughs> I want to tell you something about Colonel Angelos. He's a very humble man. He, I know he would want me to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you anyway, okay? Because when we got to Iraq, from, we get, on that trip from uh, Kuwait to Iraq, that three days, three long days, Sergeant Major, three, <laughs> three long days in those uh, Humvees that didn't have very much armor at all. By any means, back a little thin sheet, really, of metal. And that's all we had. But that's, as Donald Rumsfeld back then said, you got to go to war what you got sometime, not, not things you would like to go with. So we, during those three days, it was pretty amazing because I got a chance to minister to my soldiers. We had a whole a lot of different march units. I think, I don't know how many it was. It was a bunch of them. <laughs> and I, I put a, as a brigade chaplain at that time, I put a chaplain with each march unit. And I said, I want you to go with them, and I want you to minister the needs of these soldiers. Pray with them every morning before you leave. Pray with them every night when you, before you go to, before you bed down. And I said, just minister to them. Just, just be, just be a pastor to them. And so we did. And every, almost every day, several times a day, soldiers would come up to me when we stop for a break, chaplain or. You think we're going to make it okay? We're going we're gonna to make it there? And God had, God had already given me a word in my heart that we're going to make it that three days to Iraq and we weren't going to lose anybody. Now, I did not have that assurance, same assurance from him, throughout the war because I knew we were at war. And being in a combat brigade, I knew that we were going to lose people. But my soldiers need that, needed that encouragement, and I needed that encouragement, most of all, you know, and I feel like that, you know, God, you have given me these men and you have entrusted them to my care. What a, what a, what a blessed person I am. What a blessed man I am. I'm so blessed. And sir, when we got there to Iraq, we were actually glad to get there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, well... That's one hurdle down. Uh, only 500-something more days to go. <laughs> and I got a chance to, to do some really, really wonderful ministry. And I was kidding my soldiers. I said, you know, they, they would come to service pretty good. You know, we have pretty good crowds. And after we got to Iraq, the whole place was filled up, you know. 
And I said, well, praise God. At least you know when to get spiritual. Because when you're getting shot at, that's not fun, I can assure you. We got, I know Sergeant Major and Colonel Angelos will testify to this. We got rocketed and mortared every day. We were there at the compound where Saddam used to have his, his, uh, yeah, his palace and his, uh, and his, uh, hunting, his hunting, uh, hunting refuge. Uh, very acres and acres and acres and acres and acres of it. It was huge. And so, we ministered to those soldiers there for, throughout that year. Some of my duties included going to see them in a hospital, what we call the cash in the green zone. Sometimes we drive, sometimes we fly in a helicopter. Uh, those of you who want a thrill ride, you need to fly in a helicopter somewhere in Baghdad, okay? You want, you want, my wife and I were at Niagara Falls a couple of years ago, and uh, it was the only veterans standing over there, and people said, oh, don't you want to ride on the helicopter? I said, brother, I got enough rides with helicopters when I was in Baghdad, in Iraq, for the, to last me the rest of my life. Uh, not only would they go up and down patterns, but they would go in and out, you know, because you were getting shot at, and that's not fun. So, you know, they would have to, uh, have to do that. But as I got to the cash, and I appreciate my boss then, General Basilica, because he and I would always go to the cash when a soldier was injured, no matter what day, time or day or night it was. would pray for them if they were injured. I would have to go to the morgue as a chaplain. Pray for those soldiers. Broke my heart. Broke my heart. They were like they were my sons. They really were. Especially in the condition that many of them were in. And I'm not going to get real graphic here. But many, many times they were only pieces of bodies. And sir, the uh, and something major, you and I were there that night. And January 5th, 2005, certainly was the worst day of my life over there and probably of the, of the whole brigade's life. We had a large area of Iraq. We ran the first election over there for the, for the people. They were so excited about voting. And I look at us and I see 30 and 40% turnout. And they, they were voting under threat of being killed. And they would proudly show off their little purple finger. <laughs> they, when they voted, they did that purple finger die, and they would proudly show that off. And upon one on one occasion, one location, there was a man with the IED strapped to him there, or explosives strapped to him there, and he set them off right in the middle of the polling place and killed several people. That didn't phase the Iraqis one bit. They would they came by. Even little kids. The kids were there too. And they spit on his body in contempt. And they went right back to voting. And I thought that was an incredible, incredibly amazing thing. And you know, when I said a while ago about God making something beautiful in my life, He has. He has. I'm just glad that I've just been able to stay out of the way some of the time. And let him do it. You know, the times I have to stay out of the way, I made a mess of my life. You know, that night, 
in January 2005. Got word that afternoon. In fact, uh, I was down at the prison visiting some troops. Finally saw Colonel Angelos. Colonel Angelos was looking for me. My radio was working, my vehicle. And we, he finally caught up with me. He said, Chaplain, we lost seven soldiers in Taji. Uh, so I knew him. So I immediately, I, was, I had all of had my gear on. We got on the, got in the, uh, got a convoy ready to go. We went to the scene where our seven soldiers had died. And so what made you may have to correct me here, but I, they were in a, a armored personnel carrier, and I think that thing weighs about 42 tons or 38 tons, 42, 42 tons. They were on the way to give blankets to some Iraqi children in the village. Just underneath the, the dirt there, which they couldn't see, were a bunch of shells fused together. They ran over those shells and it exploded. They probably set it off remotely from someplace. It blew that, it blew that personal carrier about 15 feet in the air. It blew the rear gate off of it. It got, it set fire. The ammunition and the blood and the fire and the bodies that night was a smell that I will ever, never, ever, ever forget. The strewn body parts, I will never forget that. But I'm glad I was there because I got a chance to help before they got put on the helicopter. I helped them put them on the helicopter. And I got to pray for these body bags. Seven different soldiers. One, one soldier was fully intact. The others or not. That night, we had seven soldiers and ten body bags full. The next day, we went back to pick up three or four more body bags full. Now, I had never seen anything quite like that before. It devastated me. And yet, during that time, the Spirit of God came upon me, and I was able to pray for those soldiers. And I didn't know all of them personally, but this is the prayer I prayed. Lord, receive now the spirit of my brother that he might dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that's the prayer I prayed. Why would you pray a prayer over dead people like that? Why would you not? That's what I ask. Not why would you, but why would you not? And you know what? I don't know the spiritual condition of each of those soldiers, but you know what? I believe to this day that God answered my prayer. I do. I do. We did so many things uh, together there, Colonel Angelos and Sergeant Major, and saw so many things and uh, uh, peoples whose lives were totally different than us. Totally different. A life that you don't want to live under, I can assure you. I can promise you that. And when I got back to the United States, I, I, had, I got probably zero tolerance for whiny Americans. I mean, I really do. <laughs> I just don't have any tolerance for whiny Americans. And uh, maybe that's kind of, maybe that's unchristian, but hey, that's the way I am. I just have to, <laughs> you know, if God, God will have to deal with me if that's wrong, okay? And he can. But, you know, it was so many things that we did there and we experienced. So many things that we got to see. And we would 
minister to the soldiers day and night, really. We really would go and try to pray for not all of them, but try to pray for as many missions as we could. We caused, we had missions going day and night, people going out of the wire, uh, to combat the bad guys, look for the bad guys. And we try to pray for as many as we could. I had seven chapels there with me uh, under, under, under our brigade at that time. And we, as many as we could, we would go and pray for those people before they went out. And I was so encouraged because in each of their vehicles, whether it was a Humvee or whatever it was they were going in, which is usually a Humvee, sometimes armored personnel carrier, in each of their vehicles, they had posted upon the ceiling or posted on the wall laminated scriptures of protection Laminated scriptures. Now, I went there to minister to those guys, but I want to tell you, they ministered to me. <laughs> uh, God knows when a, when a chaplain needs ministered to, and I, I certainly did. Thank goodness I had some fellow chaplains there because we, as chaplains, we get to, we get to listen and have to listen and, and want to listen and encourage our soldiers. So we hear a lot of bad news. We really do. A lot of bad news. In fact, you know, I never ever get depressed, but something major, I want to tell you, I was depressed about three months after that night of January the 5th of 2005. I went to the mental health people, talked to them, went to my fellow chaplains, talked to them. Fortunately, I got to come home for two weeks in February, and that did more to help bring me a little healing than anything. Got to see my wife again. My dad had lined up all kinds of places for me to speak when I got home. <laughs> I didn't get much rest. He wasn't any R, much R and R, but I, I, but I, I like to stay busy anyway. I like to minister to people and to soldiers. Before we left Iraq, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell this story of Miss Beverly here. She don't like me to tell this story, but I'm gonna tell this story. Just, uh, we were very, very busy, uh, throughout, day and night really, throughout our time in Iraq. And when we got to hand over, hand over our territory, so to speak, to the other group that were taking our place, uh, the last few days we were there before we went back to Kuwait, got to go to Saddam's palace, one of the ones that we had bombed, the big one, there in Baghdad. And he had his throne there. I saw his three-story chandelier. And I said, oh, I can't resist this. I had to get my picture of him of me sitting on his throne. <laughs> it was it had gold all over it. Very, very much excess of everything. Incredible. He had a, uh, uh, and I think you guys saw a picture. He had a golden carriage there. Looked like what, 20, 20 feet long, wasn't it? Uh, 20 feet long, overlaid with gold. He put our own money to good use. <laughs> he knew how to spend money. And I went there. And I sat on that throne, and I, I said, man, I said, I can, I can show the picture to my kids and my grandkids. Sit, me sitting on the throne, I thought it was, I thought it was kind of befitting of him myself. <laughs> but I really enjoyed doing that. And I, we, General Basilican, a bunch of us, Colonel Angelos, went to see an imam while we were there, or twice, 
that was a head imam, we called the Haas, Hussein al-Sistani, a very kind man, uh, not like a lot of the, not like the radical Islamic people we met there, who are very evil people, by the way. But this man was kind. He, he looked like what I thought Moses or Abraham would look like. He had a long robe. Beard came down to about here. He had a staff. He was a real scholar. We met in his library, and he had a room full of books that he had written. So this guy was a scholarly man. He welcomed him in his, to, uh, us into his house. And, of course, the customs in every country are different where you go. And we'd have to go up to him and say, your eminence, that's what we call him. And we kiss him on the right cheek and kiss him on the left cheek and kiss him back on the right cheek, okay? And uh, so, you know, but so that wasn't such a big deal. I mean, got over that pretty quick. And the, he was very kind to us. And when he found out I was a chaplain, he, he called me over there and he said, I want to pray for you. I want to give you a blessing. And he prayed for me and I prayed for him. He said, I'm so glad to have a Christian chaplain in my house. I've never had a Christian chaplain in my house. And we were back another time before we left. He was sober, so we'd each standing up. By the way, there are only men there, uh, women. The only men there, okay, men conduct the business there. You women were kind of just out in the cold. Uh, if you want to live in a country that's got Sharia law, you don't want to live there. I can promise you. You don't want to live there. But the man was very kind to us. We, we, we were sit there, and he would give us this extremely sweet tea. It's terrible. It was some, you know. And I, I learned pretty quick not to put my, my little container about that tall back down because they just fill it right back up. <laughs> These servants were incredibly, they were Johnny on the spot. And he had four or five of them running around this in that one room. He had a bunch of more in the, in the room getting the dinner prepared for us. We went in there and had all, we had fish and goat, and lamb, and I don't know what, all kind of vegetables, and we would talk to each other. He had utensils there for us in case we wanted them, but over there they eat with their hands. They get their wafer there that they use, kind of like a big tortilla, I guess. It's the only thing I could describe it as. They would dip it in their, uh, what's that stuff called? That tastes like mustard, except it's really good. What? Yeah, what, what is it? Okay, that's it. <laughs> Coming. Yeah, and, and we would we do that, and we would uh, take a bite, and then we would talk, and take a bite, and talk. Pretty incredible, pretty incredible thing. So when I got back to Baghdad that night, I called Beverly. I said, this guy's got the life. I mean, he has got the life, you know. He has got it made, even though he was in a very dangerous area of Iraq there. He has got it made. So when I got back, I called Beverly. I said, baby, listen, you haven't got to call me Colonel anymore like she ever did. Uh, you don't have to salute me anymore like she never, ever did. Yeah. <laughs> Once when I was leaving, that's about it. I said, you ain't got to call me Colonel anymore. You ain't got to salute me and bring my coffee to me. He said, Sir, does not meet with your specifications this morning? You know, all that good stuff. <laughs> you, you can imagine her doing that, huh? No. I can only dream of her doing that, though. So. <laughs> so, uh, 
I guess that IED we got hit with that day kind of affected me, sir. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, I said, this guy's got it made. I said, when I get home, I said, when I come on my porch, got a big swing on my porch. I said, I want two palm leaves there on the porch. And I want a golden crown sitting there. And I want, I want grapes up over the door so I can pluck a grape as I go in the door. <laughs> and, uh, and what else did I want? Oh, and I, and I wanted a sign say, welcome home, your eminence. I said, you can call me, you can call me your eminence from now on. Well, of course, Miss Beverly being the dutiful wife she always has been, followed those orders to the T, of course, you know. I went home and got, went in my bathroom. On the commode was a golden crown. <laughs> With a palm leaf on either side. Grapes on the back of the commode also. And a sign. Welcome home, your enema. Sir, she couldn't get away with that in Iraq. <laughs> I would like for you to look at the year 2012 because that's a very important year. Uh, as Sergeant Major mentioned this morning, that's where all the time is supposed to come to an end. But there's, it is a very scary time because the radical Islam, which is, our, which is our enemy, a very paranoid and vicious religion. Don't let them tell you it's not. The, not all people I met over there were like that at all. But these guys, the radical Islamists, are very evil people. And they, they've got an imam called the 12th imam who was in the line of succession from Muhammad who had kept the true faith. They considered the Sunnis, the Sunni, these are Shias, they considered the Sunnis to be somewhat less. Okay? And so they, can, they are waiting for this 12th imam to come on the scene. And when he gets here, he will... Bring Sharia law to the world. That's what he'll do. He will subjugate everybody that's not Muslim. And he will kill those who refuse to convert. This is a, this is the Islamic Messiah, if you will. And his name is Imam Mahdi, of which the Mahdi army there was a big militia that we fought while we were there the whole time. The whole time. But they say that he is, he is here, that he hasn't, been, he hasn't been revealed yet, but when he does, watch out. And they believe that they have to bring his second coming, if you will, back with extreme violence. This is one of the things that 9-11 was all about. It's kind of as a uh, runner-up to what's coming. That's what all these bombings are about. It's a plan that they have. A trial balloon, if you will, for the coming destruction. And ladies, you, you need to get on your knees every night and just thank God that you don't live in the Islamic country with Sharia law. You better thank God because I tell you, it's a miserable existence. It is. Every Arab country is not, or every Muslim country is not that way. 
But the kind of Islam that I see in Indonesia, in the Middle East, much of Africa, and much of the world is this radical, hateful, vengeful Islam. But you know what the Bible says about that? It says that we got to love our enemies. And that's hard to do. And I want to tell you, sir, it was hard for me to have any love for anybody, any, any Muslim, the night they killed those soldiers. I had a hard time. In fact, in fact, I had some hate in my heart. I did. I had some hate in my heart. But you know, God is faithful. And he ministered to me because I was his child. Not because I was a chaplain, but because he just loved me because I was his child. Isn't that comforting enough? My wife prayed for me the entire time I was gone and my family. It was a tough time, but praise God. It was a time that I wouldn't take for anything in the world. I did feel like Queen Esther, that I was born for such a time as this. And I can really say that song in my heart, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. Because all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Can I sing a little song to you? I wasn't going to do this, but my wife wants to sing a little song. This is her favorite song, this song that me and my soldiers sing a lot. And it really kind of encapsulates, encapsulates what the gospel is all about. It goes something like this. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. And he did. And he did. As you can tell, I'm, I've got some serious moments in my life, but I'm not too serious. <laughs> you know, because, you know, you got to take those moments of fun and of jovialty when you got them, sir, because it's so much time in your life as a soldier, as a Marine, Coast Guard, Airman, Navy, so many of those times. But especially when you're in a when you're in a combat unit, so much sadness all around you, so much death and destruction all around you. And don't t- don't tell me that stuff don't affect you because it does. Don't think the glad thing I'm glad that we do now that we didn't do World War Two, World War One, Vietnam War, the Korean War. At least we're trying to help minister to the soldiers who. And, and to the combat combatters who come back because they had that problem too. They did. I went to a church in Homer, Louisiana, about three or four months ago to minister to a war, war to veteran Sunday school class. I served with a teacher, a guy named Mr. Mr. Blackwell, used to be in, in this brigade. He invited me up there. 
Those men, you ought to, you ought to see them. Those men had so much hurt, pent up hurt and pain from all those years they were carrying. They sat there and I prayed with them and they cried like babies. I said, my God, look at what, look at what we haven't done for these soldiers that I had the advantage of. Look how we just ignored them. If you don't deal with hurt now, it's going to come back to roost. The soldier who, who killed his buddies in Iraq just the other day, who was in the mental health clinic get, trying to get help, he just lost it. Just lost it. Killed some five, I think, five soldiers in his unit. Or, or, or in, in some units there anyway. But some of them were his buddies, his combat buddies. And you could say, well, that was a terrible thing that he did. Yes, it was. But you know what? Nobody will ever know the mental torment that man was going through. Nobody will ever know that. Nobody. And so, as a chaplain, I get the chance to minister to people like that. And I... I'm so privileged. And Pastor Russell, I'm so privileged to have come here today. Beverly and I are most honored. And, uh, sir, I want to thank you. God bless you.